Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. Theopolis trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs will learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. For today's episode, we have our adjunct senior fellow, Alistair Roberts, giving us a discussion of the Ten Plagues. For more of Alistair's work, both for Theopolis and on his own website, you can check out the links in the show notes. We really hope that you enjoy and are sharpened by this meditation on the Ten Plagues in Exodus. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the Theopolis Podcast. My name is Alistair Roberts. I've spent the last couple of days down in London with Dr. Lightheart, discussing the 10 words with a number of students. Dr. Lightheart is not available today to join the podcast, so in his absence I thought I would have a discussion, not of the 10 words, but of the 10 plagues that we encounter in the book of Exodus. The 10 plagues are a cycle of different events. They seem seem to divide into three cycles of three plagues, followed by a final plague, the plague of the death of the firstborn. Now that breaking down of three cycles of three, followed by a capstone, may correspond to some degree with the pattern of the seven days of creation, where you have three days of forming, three days of filling, and then a capstone day where there is the Sabbath. Maybe there's something similar, some relationship between the two. What we do see within the Ten Plagues, though, is a series of events that move from the very basic ground level of Egyptian society and then move up through to the very heavens. It begins in the Nile and it ends up with the darkness of the sky and then the judgment at midnight, the death of the firstborn. This is a movement up through the house of Egypt, a destruction of the house from the very basement of the house to its rafters. It's taking down the house of Egypt. Now, As we look through this cycle of plagues, we can see certain patterns emerging. We can see a pattern where there is a movement from the plague of blood, the waters turning to blood, the frogs, the gnats, the swarms, the pestilence, the boils, the hail, the locust, the darkness. There's a gradual movement up. There's also a gradual movement up in terms of the opponents that are being challenged. So at the beginning you have an emphasis upon the work of Aaron and his conflict with the magicians. The first three plagues are done using Aaron's rod and Moses speaks to Aaron and Aaron speaks in the name of Moses. At the beginning of chapter 7 verse 1 we read, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. And as we work through the initial plagues, the conflict is primarily between Aaron and the magicians and the sorcerers. The sorcerers are trying to replicate the actions of Aaron. First of all, in turning their um, staffs into their rods into serpents. Later on, in an attempt to turn the water into blood. And then they try and bring up frogs on the land of Egypt, which they succeed in too. But in the case of the lice, they fail. So there's a gradual progression and then a defeating of the magicians. And this is 
Aaron versus the magicians primarily. But then in the next six plagues, Aaron's role is not primary. Aaron is no longer acting primarily as the prophet and the prophet squaring off with the second, the figures of Pharaoh, his court, the magicians, the sorcerers. No, it's now more direct between Moses and and Pharaoh. But at the end, we see at the end of the sixth plague, the magicians cannot stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. And there's also a second progression that we see in the second cycle of plagues. No longer are the plagues upon all of the land, the Jews and the Egyptians alike, the Israelites and the Egyptians alike. No, it becomes focused upon the Egyptians in particular. In the second cycle of plagues, God is creating a distinction. In the first cycle of plagues, we see Goshen is included. All persons suffer something of the judgment from sin. And the judgments in place are mediated in many ways. It's the land coming forth in judgment. If we look at the shape of the judgments, there's also a poetry involved, a poetic judgment. Where did the judgments begin? The judgments begin with the Nile being turned into blood. Is this just a general demonstration of God's power over water? Or is there something more in what takes place in this particular plague? The Nile is a graveyard. The Nile is the place into which the Egyptians had cast the Hebrew boys. And now, this graveyard that had covered up all these dead bodies is now disgorging those bodies in some sense by turning into blood. The secret is out. The bodies, the blood can no longer be hidden. The blood is now calling forth from the land, from the Nile itself against the Egyptians, calling out to heaven for judgment. And so this judgment is not just a sign of God's power over the river, the lifeblood of Egypt. It's a declaration of judgment through a significant sign, a sign that represents what Egypt has done, that God has remembered Israel's plight, but God has also seen Egypt's crime. And the water turning to blood is a manifestation of that crime. And the next, com- and the next plagues follow from this in different ways. The frogs aren't just set forth upon the land in a completely distinct act. The fl- frogs rise up from the river. They're coming out of the river. And as they come out of the river and come upon the land, there is a trespassing of the realm of the river, the defiled realm, the realm associated with blood, with Egypt's crime, and now it's coming forth from the river. And then the next stage is lice, presumably bred in the dead bodies of the flies. Now these lice cover the whole dust of the land. So there's a movement from the water, the defiled water, that bears the mark of Egypt's crime and the um, suffering of Israel. Up from there, through these amphibian creatures that swarm and cover the land and defile things, to this 
turning of the dust into lice, so the dust starts to crawl. The movement then from the waters beneath, up from the waters, through the frogs, to the land, and the dust being turned into lice. So we see a gradual movement up, and at the end we'll see the heavens themselves come to bear judgment. As we read the beginning of the book of Exodus, there might be other connections that come to mind. Israel is defined by its power of multiplication. The children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. And this, perhaps more than anything else, sounds like some of the swarming creatures, the creeping things, the creatures that devour the face of the earth, that cover the face of the earth, whether they're frogs, whether they're lice, whether they're locusts. These are creatures that multiply exceedingly and they creep and crawl and swarm and cover the whole face of the earth and devour everything. Israel has been spoken of in a way that reminds you of these sorts of creatures. But now these creatures are arising from the polluted river and they're starting to go throughout the land. And when they die, at the end, the effect is to cause the whole land to stink. Now that description of causing the land to stink may not be uh, just an incidental remark. Earlier, God, or the, the, um, the children of Israel said to um, Moses and Aaron and said let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us literally to stink before the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. So like the frogs, the frogs multiply, fill the land and cause ultimately the land to stink. The signs progress further. We've seen in the first stage Aaron is the one who's foregrounded and his conflict with the magicians. Aaron is the prophet of Moses and his judgments are very much the sort of judgments that provide a sign of what has been done to Israel, of the crime of Egypt rising up out of this polluted water to fill the whole land, cause it it to stink and to the dust itself is coming alive and it's starting to call out against Egypt. And at that stage, there is the inclusion of the land of Goshen. But in the next stage, there is this distinction. God is gradually cutting off his people from the Egyptians. And in the next stage, the rod isn't emphasised. Moses is the one who's foregrounded. And at this point, God draws the distinction. In the second stage, there is the attack upon property of people but it's less it's less pronounced than the final stage there's a gradual escalating of these judgments they each move up a different level and they have many other patterns so for instance the first plague of each cycle the first plague being the waters being made to blood the fourth plague being the plague of flies and the seventh plague and the um, seventh plague being the plague of hail, each of these begin with Moses rising early in the morning, going to Pharaoh in the early morning, usually when he comes out of the river, and warning him of what is to come. 
the second plague in each cycle, the second plague being the plague of frogs, the plague of the livestock disease, and the plague of the locusts, Moses comes to Pharaoh to warn him, presumably during the day. And then the final plague of each cycle, the third plague, the plague of the lice, the sixth plague, the plague of the boils, and the ninth plague, the plague of darkness, it comes without any warning to Pharaoh at all. And perhaps those plagues are associated with, with night. So there's a movement through a sort of day cycle. Beginning early morning, Moses coming towards Pharaoh as he comes out of the river often. And then the next stage, during the day, he comes before Pharaoh. And then the final one without any warning whatsoever. There's a sign of an escalating judgment here. There's the beginning of the morning. Moses has the time to change. There is this presentation at the beginning of the day and Pharaoh could change course. The second plague comes during the day and then the final plague, there is no warning. The warning makes a difference. If he has a warning, there's a chance for him to amend course, but he doesn't. The first cycle of the plagues, as I mentioned, is brought about through Aaron. The net and the final cycle of plagues is brought about by Moses. And so the corruption that begins in the Nile gradually extends to all of the extends to all of the waters, then comes out to the land in the frogs, the dust of the land, then turns to lice as the land has been it's stinking out as a result of the corpses of the frogs. Then the plague of insects turns to a plague of flies and swarms as it's given wings and the whole land is rendered unclean as a result of this. It's not just that it stinks, it's rendered unclean. The land animals then become diseased and human beings break out in boils. So there's a movement from the waters beneath, out of the waters in the frogs, the dust of the land coming alive in judgment and then gradually you have the pollution of flesh, first of animals and then of human beings. And then the plagues rise even further. In the final cycle of plagues, hail come from, comes from the sky to strike the seasonal crops. And the east wind brings locusts to consume what is left. Now the plague of locusts is an interesting one to consider. When we look at the plague of locusts, they are brought from... They are brought with a strong east wind. Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on that land, on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. We discover something quite similar later on in the text. God also uses an east wind to achieve a purpose. In chapter 14, God tells Moses to stretch out his hand. He stretches out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. Later on, within this same plague of the locusts, the eighth, pl eighth plague, the locusts are removed in a very significant way. The Lord turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. 
there remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. There would seem to be a parallel here. I've already discussed the way in which the Israelites were multiplying. They were seen by the Egyptians as like creepy crawlies, like frogs, like flies defiling the land, like locusts consuming it. And now God removes all these locusts from the land. And with a strong west wind, he takes them away and blows them into the Red Sea. And there's no locusts left in the land. Now, as you read the story of the Exodus, it seems that there's this complaint about the status of the Israelites within the land of Egypt. The threat that they pose to the land's well-being and the need to subjugate them. And yet here we have locusts and other plagues that devour the land. And yet Moses wants these plagues to go and Egypt sees the Israelites like one of these plagues. They're like the frogs. They're like the lice. They're like the locusts. They're like the flies. But he will not let them go. But if he did, they would be blown through to the Red Sea and there would be no one left of them in the land of Egypt. So it would seem that when we're looking at the plagues, we need to connect the plagues with Israel itself. Israel is in some way being symbolised by the plagues. And it's also God working through these plagues to distinguish his people from the Egyptians. So Israel's identity, Egypt's crime against Israel, is represented by the plagues. And then through the course of the plagues, Israel is being defined, marked out. And the culminating plague, of course, is the death of the firstborn. That death of the firstborn, which is at the same time the release of Israel as God's firstborn. God's firstborn son, Israel, is delivered through the Passover, through the waters of the Red Sea, and rises up and stands on its own feet. The establishment of God's firstborn over against Egypt's firstborn is spoken of in Exodus chapter 4, when God says to Moses, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn, so I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. So the plagues progress and lead to the point where God's firstborn son will be released. And there's conflict taking place here. Not only is there a sign that represents Israel's identity. Not only is there a progression in the strength of the plagues. There's also a progression in the opponents that are being focused upon. You gradually see the magicians start to go to the periphery of the picture, whereas at the beginning, they're very much in the forefront. It's Aaron facing off against the magicians. But then as you progress, they're no longer at the forefront. It's Moses and Pharaoh. But even behind Moses and Pharaoh, we see something greater, a greater conflict that's stirring. God says, 
in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. There is a conflict taking place here. There is a conflict taking place between the pawns on the board, as it were, between um, or the bishops and the knights, perhaps, and um, the other characters like that, the rooks, these figures, when we think about the conflict between Aaron and the magicians. But then there's a conflict between Moses and Pharaoh, and behind all of that is this deeper struggle between the false gods of Egypt and the true God of all creation. God is proving himself to be powerful, to be supreme in every single one of the areas where the gods of the Egyptians might claim their own supremacy, their own rule, even to the point of turning out the light of the sun. There is then a progression in the strength of these plagues and also a progression to a point where we see the true antagonists. That the true antagonists are not primarily these secondary figures of Aaron and the magicians or even Moses and Pharaoh, but God and the false gods. And through the event of the plagues, God proves himself to be the God of all. By the time of the third cycle of plagues, God is not just giving a sign or a warning. God is destroying all things. But there is some degree of mercy that we see. When we look at this, when we look at the earlier plagues, for instance, if we look at the seventh plague, God gives a warning. And there are some people that heed that warning. God says, Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, and the hail shall come down on every man and every beast which is found in the field, and is not brought home, and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Once again, we are seeing a progression here. There's a progression from the judgment being upon all people to the judgment distinguishing between Israel and Egypt to a point where there is an inclusion of people who are God-fearers in the salvation or in the deliverance, that they are not judged with the others. Later, as Israel leaves Egypt, they will be accompanied by a great mixed multitude. They are not alone. They are not a people that's just defined by a detached nationhood or their ethnicity or their ancestry. They are people who are, encounter- who are followed by a great number of people who also share the fear of God, who will over time become part of them. When we read this then, I think we can see the way that God, through these plagues, is affecting a particular result. Pharaoh is gradually hardened. God proves his supremacy in each arena of the creation. 
God proves his power over each one of his adversaries, from the magicians to Pharaoh to the gods of Egypt themselves. And then God gradually separates his people and brings in among them others, others who are included in his mercy, who are warned of his judgments. Later on when we read the account of of the final plague, the death of the firstborn, there is a warning that is given more generally. And that warning is one that enables those of the Egyptians to find deliverance. God gives us these warnings too. God gives us a progression that he does not bring judgment straight away with its full force. There is a movement. And God warns his people, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As we look through the story of the Exodus, this is what we see in the case of Pharaoh. But there are others of the the Egyptians who are softened over time who through the judgments, through the warnings, respond, who come to Israel and join with Israel and will later go out with Israel. These plagues then are a merciful progression so that judgment does not fall with one fell swoop, one hammer blow. It begins with these things that are primarily unpleasant and uncomfortable. Later it, be, it escalates to judgments upon the body, judgments upon flesh, things that hurt possessions, livestock, food. And then God turns out the lights over Egypt. And finally, there is that catastrophic judgment upon the firstborn. This movement then, explored from different perspectives, reveals something more general about the way that God works. It's also a way in which we see God putting his, demonstrating his power and his identity, his supremacy as the creator and the God of all. Later on, Israel could look back to this event, seeing that God had demonstrated his power in every single arena of the creation. This movement up from the waters of the Nile, over all the flesh of the land, and the creatures and life to the heavens themselves which come down with the rain of the hail which have the which have the other judgments from the heavens the judgment of the locusts and then the darkness and then finally the judgment of human life the killing of the firstborn These judgments also foreshadow what will happen with Israel as Israel is brought out of the land. As Israel is brought out of the land, they will be like the locusts blown towards the Red Sea. God will lead them by this cloud and through this strong east wind blowing for a whole night, he will lead them through and yet he will drown their adversaries, drowning their adversaries in the water much the same way as they once were drowned by the Egyptians in the Nile. There is a poetry to what God is doing, a poetry that is not just about Egypt receiving its comeuppance, but Egypt being brought into an awareness of what it has done, being alerted to its crime so that it has time to repent, it has time to turn around, 
But Pharaoh and the Egyptians, for the most part, do not respond. There is the mixed multitude, but many join with Pharaoh in hardening their hearts. As we read this story then, I believe that we have a portrait of God. We have a demonstration of God separating his people from their adversaries. And also from the corruption of sin and the consequences that it has. That God brings his people out of the condemned house of Egypt. That God gradually distinguishes his people from the judgment that is about to fall upon sin. There is a degree to which we are subject to the same judgment. Even as God's people, we suffer something of the judgment that falls upon our nations, that falls upon our people as a result of what we have done. But God still delivers and brings us out. And gradually these distinctions are drawn. And gradually God brings people in, gives people warning, so that they will not suffer that final judgment. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.